0: You're certainly not a little girl, are you? <laughs> no, ma'am. She was a proper southern lady to the tips of her toes. Her gloves were spotless and her hair was curved. And to escape her past, that gal ran away fast Entering out into that big bad world. I got to go. Oh,
1: Bella, where'd you go? Where'd
0: She walked her
1: boss, so they would stop and stare. That ain't no bustle, that's my dairy no.
0: no, 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 no. That is God's response to my fervent prayer. A yeah. big booty Tupelo yeah. girl. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, July 2nd, 2017. Happy pre-4th of July. My name is James Marino and on the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Jan Simpson. Peter is a theater journalist and historian with a number of books. His most recent is The Great Parade, which is available everywhere. His columns appear at MTI, Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning,
1: Peter. Good morning. Welcome back from Nebraska, was it? Or? Nebraska, yes, indeed. The International Theater um uh, Thespian Festival. Uh high school kids come from all over the uh, country and put on shows. Terrific work in seeing um not only Heathers uh and but especially Sweeney Todd by uh, high schoolers. They said it couldn't be done but those <laughs> kids did it.
0: That's great. Uh did you get back in time for the Jimmy Awards?
1: No. No. Uh, so uh, it, you have to see high schoolers in one place and not another. Uh, so <laughs> I was just thinking. That, that was that. it. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: strange that it's uh, in competing in the same time slots as the, uh, yeah. the, mm. the Jimmies are getting gaining more and more uh, nas- national recognition. Mm-hmm. Thank God they are. Also with us is Jan Simpson. Jan is the director of the Arts and Culture Journalism Project at Cooney's Graduate School of Journalism. Also writes for TDF Stages, American Theater, and has her own blog at Broadway and Me. Good morning, Jan. Good morning. So, Jan, you had a little uh, coup there. You used to be the co-director. You've killed, you've <laughs> killed off your rivals. You Julius <laughs> no. Caesar'd them. Uh-huh. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. There's no denial there. Remember this. You heard this here first. <laughs> so, Jan, thanks for coming in. Michael is in Washington, D.C., flipping through old Rogers and Hammerstein scores at the Smithsonian um, and uh, doing really cool stuff. He saw Hedwig last night at the Kennedy Center. So I'm sure that next week we'll talk a little bit about that, as well as uh, he said that uh, Trump was going to be at the Kennedy Center at the same time, not seeing Hedwig. But um, something <laughs> s- something else was going on there. So Michael was going to try to get a selfie with the Trump. So mm. uh, we'll see what happens there. Speaking of Donald Trump, uh, yeah. 1984 is a play mm-hmm. on Broadway. And Jan and Peter have gotten a chance to see it up at the Hudson Theater. So uh, Peter, why don't you get us started on 1984?
1: Well, what we've heard about 1984 is how scary it is. Kids under 13 not admitted. And um, there's some people have vomiting, Uh, people with high blood pressure are warned not to go because uh, they may have strokes. Well, I have to say I didn't find it that scary and I'm the type of guy who closes my eyes shut whenever I see a trailer for a horror movie, you know, so I mean I scare very, very easily because uh, life is hard enough, you know and uh, life can often be its own horror story. So I I, um, really went uh, thinking that I was going to spend a lot of time with my eyes closed and maybe it just means I'm insensitive But I thought it was going to be a lot worse than it was. Now, of course, those who know the novel of 1984 and a lot of people don't, you can tell from the reactions when um, what happens to Winston Smith when he is brought in for to use a euphemism, interrogation. Um, At that point, the set has changed, and what we see are three enormous white walls. And I thought, oh, I know what's going to happen. They're going to project on those white walls what really drives Winston uh, to his scariness quotient. And that didn't happen. And I was a little surprised, and I thought it was a lost opportunity. So while I hate to say that this is a situation... Where um, it could have been grosser because usually I don't go for that type of thing at all. I have to say that um, I expected more from this and not getting it in a strange way disappointed me. What really impressed me was Reed Burney because I had either not known or forgotten that he was actually going to be in it and he was the interrogator. And for a while I was saying, oh, that guy sort of looks like Reed Burney, but he's giving such a cold and dispassionate performance because he's the one who really puts Winston Smith to the test uh, to say the least. And in doing so, um, is very matter-of-fact about it, even avuncular. uh, I guess Big Brotherly would be a better way of putting it. Mm -hmm. But but there he is uh, Just matter of factly going through uh, what he wants and what he wants out of him. And even when he says he's going to do terrible things to him, he says it in the same voice when he's saying, we want to help you, uh, that type of thing. And um, Tom Sturridge is playing Winston. Now, the interesting thing about Tom Sturridge is we haven't um, seen him for uh, four years uh, when he made his Broadway debut in Orphans, and he was terrific in it, just terrific. In fact, um, uh, the Theater World Awards certainly gave him a prize, and uh, he also got a Tony. And we were wondering what happened to him for four years, but uh, thank God he's back because he really is terrific as Winston smith and it's a tough role because at the beginning he has to seem clueless um and it's easy to be clueless in the society because after all nobody knows exactly what's going on and his job in fact is to rewrite history so he's very very confused however what he does do is um meet a woman named julia and she to say the least comes on to him She doesn't come on to him in a blatant way, but um, she simply slips him a note that says, I love you, which really comes out of the blue. Now in a society like this, can you trust the fact that a woman is giving you this message? Well, uh, who knows? But on the other hand, when somebody uh, gives you that type of invitation, well, aren't you interested? Sure you are. So so, so is Winston here. He's very interested, and we'll see if this leads to his downfall. Who can you trust? You just don't know. Uh, a message like that could mean that she's trying to suck you in so that you can uh, betray yourself. And, uh, and there's a lot of betrayal, a lot of double agents and double crossing in this show. Now, um, it's not an affluent society. Uh, one of the things that affected me uh, – the most was the fact that they turn on a light switch, the bulb doesn't go on and nobody is surprised. That's what you suspect in this society. Also, there's an eeriness when a father takes great pride in how well his daughter is doing is becoming a big brother booster. I mean, and there's also a little kid on the scene, um, who, uh, (laughs) Well, let's put it this way. Uh, They they alternate. I saw a kid named Sammy Bray. That's a girl. Uh, She makes her character so wicked that she could pass for a reincarnated member of the Hitler Youth. So... um, um, so the father, you know, says, amazing how much they know and how much they pick up on. Uh, yes. Yes. As Sondheim reminded us, not many years after the real 1984, children will listen. And this is one of the eeriest parts of this play, watching this little Nazi uh, take matters into her own hands. So um, it, it's it's a pretty good adaptation, but they're, they're, aside from the fact that I expected um, the real horror to show up, that something that did bother me was that in the book, they find, um, Winston and Julia, find a space that does not have a television screen. And here you don't watch television, it watches you. And I don't think the point was made strongly enough that they have found an apartment without this. So I would like that really underlined. I think that's um, very important. And... Um, So that bothered me a great deal. But um, what I did like very much was the characterization of Julia, who is uh, Olivia Wilde is the actress's name. This is her Broadway debut. And I like the fact that uh, the the writers of the show, whose names, by the way, are um, Robert Icky. And Duncan McMillan, I like the fact that they uh, kept to the template that she is smarter than he is, that uh, she she's he's a beat behind her. So, so I thought that was well done. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens at the end of the show. Who's who's really smarter? I also the other problem was there's a wonderful last line of the novel which I won't give away, and it doesn't show up in this adaptation. I think it's such a good line that it should have been part of it. So this is you know one of those two and a half stars out of four things and. uh, But for those of you who are staying away because you think it's so scary, again, you may hate me for sending you to it because you might – maybe you will find it terrible. As I say, people are vomiting. So – but um, I I kept my lunch where it was supposed to be. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jan, what did you think?
2: Um, This is one where I agree with Peter just in lockstep. I'm also a real scaredy cat so i was bracing myself for the um final scene which takes up a a lot of time the show only runs 101 minutes uh they add on the extra minute to allude to room 101 which is the torture room uh where winston is taken um and so i was really bracing and uh It's not pleasant, but it's not as horrifying as I had been led to believe. However, I can't help thinking that that's a marketing tool, Ah. Uh, that they're trying to Ah. get people in. And uh, some of the people at the performance I attended, I think, were those audiences they wanted to bring in. There were a lot of people who brought in, maybe more than usual, brought in drinks. And during the torture scene, which is, it's intense, and and it's meant to be horrifying, not in a horror movie way, but horrifying, people laughed. And I think it's the kind of laughter that maybe people have when they do go see horror movies, and um, they're enjoying it in in that way. So I, I think It was intentional to market it this way, but I think it was a mistake. Um, As for the show, again, I agree with Peter. I thought the performances were all very good. Um, But this is weird to say after just saying I thought the performances were very good. I didn't feel anything. Um, uh, I think it's very hard to put a book like this on stage unless you really try to uh, reimagine it in some way. And I think they stuck pretty close to the book except for the framing device. And there's a framing device that's set in um, a future time uh, uh, so that we get the sense that the tyranny in which the people in 1984 uh, are are living, the tyranny under which they're living, ends, and people are looking back at this historic uh, period. I found that very interesting because uh, there's also been this television show based on Margaret Atwood's book, The Handmaiden's Tale. And in, which is also a dystopic look at the future under a tyrannical uh, government. And in both, there's the suggestion that we will live through this. It won't always be like this. And I think that that has a, a particular resonance uh, for, for for today. Um, there's a lot, a lot of use, which I suppose is smart, of screens um, – not as peter said in the torture scene but there is a use of screens and i think this is supposed to make us aware that big brother is watching that screens are uh important um but i i i might even take away one of those half stars that peter gave i think wow. i'm i'm sort of a two star person on on this show
0: all right so you are feeling nothing uh-huh.
2: I, yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah Okay. So uh, that's 1984, which is running through October 8th and a limited run at the Hudson Theatre. And we'll have a link to the show page in the show notes if you want to. Oh,
2: may I also say, though, uh, James, this was my first time in the Hudson um, Theatre since its renovation. You didn't see Sunday. I didn't see Sunday um, in the park. It's a beautiful theatre. They've done a beautiful job, I
0: think. Oh, yeah yeah the uh seats feel especially wide i agree
2: yeah yeah it's it's a comfortable nicely yeah
0: yeah uh I appreciate that they had done that um and let 's uh keep it full of new works mm-hmm. uh that that doesn 't revert back to a uh corporate rental space hopefully mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Uh, next up, both of you got a chance to get over to Manhattan Theatre Club to see uh, Fulfillment Center at City Center. Uh, So Jan, why don't you start start us off with Fulfillment Center?
2: Fulfillment Center is a play by uh, the young playwright Abe Kugler. And uh, the play that – his previous play that people may remember is Kill Floor, which I believe was done at LCT3. Uh, last year, I starred Baron Ireland as a woman who had recently gotten out of prison, was working in a slaughterhouse because it was the only job that she could get and trying to pick up the pieces of her life after getting out of prison. This play is set in a warehouse for a big company like an Amazon um, that sends out packages uh, all the time and its central character is uh, again a middle-aged woman who, who can't really find any other kind of job she's really not in shape for this uh, kind of work because it requires a lot of being on your foot feet and racing around but she needs the job and it centers on her on her manager at the center the manager's girlfriend and a, a, another guy who might be a, a love interest for um for the uh, main woman. Um, there are only four people. The main woman's name is Susan. I'm not sure, though, that they use the names. They're, they're listed in the playbill, but I'm not sure that they use the names. I don't recall them uh, doing that during the play. Um, this isn't as successful for me as Kill Floor was, but what interested me is the idea of looking at a population that doesn't usually get shown on stage. And and this is working class women. And it just sort of intrigued me that a young guy would uh, uh, write uh, plays about these kinds of characters. And so... um, I suggested, and and, uh, the folks at TDF Stages agreed, uh, that I talk with Abe Kugler. And um, so I did a piece for them uh, on him. And he's he's an interesting guy, and a lot of his own uh, uh, background is – Obviously, he's not a middle-aged woman, but a lot of his own background (laughs) is reflected uh, in this particular play, which is set in uh, New Mexico. He told me that his parents have um, retired to New Mexico, and New Mexico is almost a a character um, in the play. Uh, It's it's one of the many plays I've seen recently – That have been staged with the playing area as almost like a runway in the middle and people sitting on opposite sides. Um, People seemed really unhappy with. Mm the staging of this particular one. And um, as as uh, my husband and I were leaving, I heard a lot of people talking about, it's like a tennis match. And I didn't come to see a tennis match because you have to really look back and forth as the characters were uh, uh, erasing uh, back and forth. But it did give a, a look at life uh, among people who don't have... Um, a lot of choices the woman susan and the man who becomes kind of her love interest and it, another thing it does that I found a lot of young playwrights doing that I really um, want to applaud and, and encourage is we talk a lot about diversity in the theater in terms of racial diversity. And a lot of young playwrights are just writing characters in and uh, who are people of color. And in this particular case, the supervisor is uh, a white guy. He's an MBA from some uh, where and he's in uh, at this New Mexico uh, facility as a checkoff as he works his way up um, the the corporate ladder. And his girlfriend has joined him, has recently joined him in New Mexico. They come from New York. She's unhappy being there, and she's black. Not a lot of is made of the fact that she is black, but not only has a black actress been cast, but she is written as a black woman who, who's feeling sort of out of sorts in this New Mexico place, but the real dynamic of her character is not race it's her relationship uh with her 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 boyfriend she wants him to uh, speed his way up the corporate ladder so that they can get the hell out of new mexico so there's a lot a, a lot going on that's interesting that kugler is doing but the play itself for me didn't work as 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 well there weren't beats that were resolved when you when you left I don't know. What did you think, Peter? Did you see (laughs)
1: Yeah, indeed. Uh, It's one of the plays that uh, makes you say, wow, I don't like the play that much, but the acting was terrific, and uh, I really... I, I especially admire Deirdre O'Connor, O'Connell, who played uh, Susan. Now, this is the, the uh, older woman who desperately needs the job. And here she is facing a much younger man who has the power to hire her. And we see in him a humanity because he feels bad. He knows she's not going to be able to do it, but she's pleading so hard because you really know that it's life or death for her if she's going to get this job or not. And he does take pity on her. That pity will only last so long, however. Um, Bobby Marino is the boss, and there he is flustered through the entire thing because he, he just wants her to succeed and he knows that she won't. And he's the one who has the girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, the black girlfriend, who, uh, yes, is not happy in New Mexico at all. And uh, But the thing is, the promise is, if he does very well in this job, then they'll be able to move to Seattle, which does seem to be uh, at least a better place uh, than um, New Mexico, as we're led to believe. It's never specified, I don't think, whether we're in Albuquerque or Santa Fe or wherever. Yeah. It seems to be the middle of nowhere in New Mexico because she seems to have a lot of dialogue like that. What she does is she gets, um, she tries to get involved with another man. I mean, even though she's with uh, Alex, she is not going to just let it be. She is going to see if somebody else can... Uh, Um, interest her and this really turns out to be that the boyfriend you know is better than the boyfriend you don't know because Frederick Weller plays the guy that she uh, takes up with and boy is he a horror show so that's a big problem as well but really uh, it's it's worth seeing because Deirdre O'Connell gets the entire aspect of what it is to be um, somebody whose best years are behind her somebody who has knees that are taking over with pain and here she is doing this job that even she knows she's not going to be able to do. But the fact remains that she needs the money, and uh, it's one of those situations where you think that the victory is getting the job, and then you realize what the job is, and you can't mm-hmm. do it, and you don't like it, and all that goes with that, and yet you still have to plead every day that you stay on because the money is the important thing. So um, it's an okay play, but you know here I am wishing um, I've always wished that Thornton Wilder had written his fourth new. Play, what I mean is The Matchmaker is set in New York. Our Town is set in New Hampshire. Skin of Our Teeth is set in New Jersey. Where's the New Mexico play? <laughs> I wish he had written it, but um, that would have been good. But unfortunately, um, Abe Kugler uh, decided to write one in New Mexico. And while there are flashes of intelligence and interest, um, boy, I uh, I just didn't take to it as much as he wanted me to. Yes, it is done on a runway, very much like we just saw Pacific Overtures at CSC. Uh, I wonder if a proscenium would have helped it. Uh, frankly, I think not. I don't think that was the problem. Uh, uh, the staging didn't bother me whatsoever. Um, and who knows, maybe this is because um, it was an economical way to do it, because needless to say, a runway uh, costs substantially less than building a Costco like set. But um yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to see what Abe is going to write next. And mm-hmm. um, I hope he gets another chance. And the fact that he made it to both Lincoln Center and Manhattan Theater Club is are quite two feathers in his cap. So um, we'll see what happens next.
2: And also that his work has attracted people like Marin Ireland and Deirdre O'Connell. I mean, these are just such terrific bet. actors. So, bet. uh Yeah.
0: So um, that is Manhattan Theatre Club's production of Fulfillment Center over at Manhattan Theatre Club Stage 2 at City Center. Uh, I have a link to Jan's interview, What Happens in the, What happens When There's Class Conflict in the Workplace over at CDF Stages. That's in the show notes in case you want to uh, jump over and check out uh, that article as well. Thanks, James. Oh, absolutely. So next up, Jan. You jumped on a train and went to Napoli, Brooklyn. I didn't know there was a Napoli in Brooklyn. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, Well, maybe you didn't do that. So tell (laughs) us, what did you do?
2: (laughs) Uh, This is a show that um, the Roundabout is showing in its Laura Pell's uh, theater. And um, they are, and I think they are to be applauded for this, they introduce playwrights in their small black box space um as they did with steven levinson i think they actually created that space for him um and look what's happened to to mm. to, to him um with both writing the book for evan henson and uh oh the humans The humans. Um, So he's done very well. And what they've done, what they do is when they identify someone in that black box space that they really want to nurture, they move them up to the larger Laura Pell space and they commit to doing a play. Um, Megan Kennedy is a playwright who had done uh, a piece for them earlier that I did not see. But um, I think it was called um, Too Much, Too Much, Too Many. Um, and, and this is her second production with them. This is a play that's set in uh, uh, Park Slope, Brooklyn, in 1960. And Park Slope in 1960 was not Park Slope today. Um, Park Slope today is, you know, a very upscale affluent community and then and then in the uh, uh, mid-century it was more of a working class immigrant um, community and it centers around sorry this particular family the muscolino family and the husband and wife are immigrants Uh, Luda Ludovica is her name she's called Luda and her um, husband Nick and they have come from uh, Naples and in in Italy and they've settled here in Brooklyn he has uh, some sort of laborer type of job and they have three daughters as Nick uh, uh, constantly reminds his wife, if they had stayed in Naples, they would have had sons. But coming here to America, they've had daughters. And they have three daughters. They're a very poor family. The daughters all share one bed. Um, they are they range in age from about 21, 22 to 16. The eldest daughter uh, was forced to leave school, get a factory job of her own to help uh, the family financially. The middle daughter is is sort of the hellraiser raiser of uh, the family. <clears throat> Smart and runs off at the mouth and um, challenges uh, the father, which turns out not to be a good thing. Nick is abusive, both to his wife and his children. And at one point, uh, before the play begins, he has beaten uh, this middle daughter, Vita, so uh, severely that she was hospitalized and is now staying at a convent in the neighborhood. It isn't clear if the idea is uh, to that she will learn to be more obedient in the convent or if the convent is actually a refuge so that won't be able to get to her as easily. The youngest daughter is 16, and she is, unusually for the time, uh, 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 an out lesbian. She has realized uh her, her her sexuality. She has fallen in love with her best friend who is the daughter of the neighborhood butcher and they are planning to run away together when the show begins. Not just run away together. They're planning to stow away on a ship uh to France because they believe in French that girls like us, they say, will be able to be freer and they'll be able to walk down the street holding hands and smoke cigarettes. And that's their, their sort of ideal fantasy. The mother is, uh, tries to hold everything together. She, uh, talks regularly to God, but she's um, uh, not as traditional as one might think because she's always challenging God and saying, you know, you got to get your act together and help out better here. Um, And she also has a flirtation with the butcher, who's who's a nice Irish guy and who is also enamored of her. There is so much going on in this play. It's only 90 minutes. No, I'm sorry. It's not 90 minutes. It's. It, it, it is two acts. But there's so much going on. We also have a friend of the daughter in and the, and the factory. The friend in the factory is a black woman who helps the daughter learn how to read. She doesn't know how to read. So we've got that plot line. We've got the butcher and the mom plot line. We've got the abusive father plot line. We've got the a lesbian daughter. We've got so much going on. And then at the end of the first at, there is a dramatic event that happens that's based on a real life uh, event that happened in the Park Slope and Staten Island er uh, areas in 1960. I'm not going to say much about it because actually experiencing that, seeing that and experiencing that was the best part of the um, evening, so I don't want to ruin that for anybody who goes. Then when we come back, it's sort of the aftermath of this event and what happens to the characters. But because there's so much going on, the playwright never has a she just doesn't have a chance to develop these people as real people. So they're just sort of stereotypes. I'm the religious mother who argues with God. I'm the lesbian daughter. I'm the big mouth daughter. I mean so and 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 it's sort of Uh, I'm the abusive husband. It's done in very broad strokes and at the end she has a couple of speeches that are emotional speeches that are supposed to tie this all together and also supposed to tie it to the fact of look at the lives of women in that time and so one realizes that's what the play is supposed to be about but by that time I... I just was not caring. I was just out of there. On the other hand, the woman seated next to me loved this play. She (laughs) laughed at every single sort of weak joke she literally cried took out her kleenex wiping away tears and throughout the play she kept glaring at me because i was not responding (laughs) um and so and uh there were people who stood up and, and 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 applauded afterwards So uh, it's a very traditional play. Um, I I heard uh, someone say, you know, this is an old kitchen sink drama. They've even got the kitchen sink. They do on stage. Um, So if that's the kind of old fashioned, uh, mid-century play that you enjoy, the the cast is, is quite good. Um, except that everyone is affecting their own idea of what a Brooklyn accent sounded like. So that's a little disappointing. But there are people, there is an audience for this play, and people really enjoyed it. It's just that that audience did not include me.
0: So, Jan, did you ask her how long her daughter had been working on this play? (laughs)
2: It, it could have been. I mean, she was. She, she was really furious. I'm not. i not exaggerating. She yeah. was really furious with me. At the end, she took her hands and she like made a megaphone of her hands and started yelling "Bravo!" and looking over at me and yelling "Bravo!" and then looking back over at me. <laughs> so you may be right.
0: All right. Uh, well, you know, Peter, what's your famous quote? You know, better to agree with me than... T- I'd rather you have a good time than agree with me. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Which that I live by. Yes. Absolutely. We should have them printed on our cards and hand them to people who whoop and yell and look at us. <laughs> 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 All right. So um, that is Napoli, Brooklyn. Um, At the Laura Pels, it's playing through September 3rd, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Peter, you got over to see Bella, an American tall tale at Playwrights Horizons, um, which actually closes today, but we wanted to cover it because it's gotten such uh, a lot of chatter in the industry about it. So why don't you tell us about this?
1: I thought it was pretty terrific, frankly. Uh, The score is wonderful. I cannot wait for the cast album. Kirsten Childs uh, wrote, Everything, book, music, and lyrics. And while I do think the show is too long, and I bet she'd admit that too, the fact remains that uh, when it works, it works superbly. But especially because uh, I, I sometimes didn't even hear the dialogue that followed a song because the song's melody was still going through my head, and that is a compliment. What's also a compliment too is Ashley D. Kelly, who plays Bella. Now this is a woman. This is um, a woman who has a lot in common with the character we saw at signature theater a few weeks ago and that is that her gluteus maximus is pretty maximus um and uh so what we're talking about is um an enormous posterior for those of you who don't know latin and uh This doesn't quite get her into a freak show as it did for Venus, the character we we met recently at the Signature, but it does get her into show business and her uh, various uh, adventures there are just part of the show. Most of it has to do with the fact that she's uh, traveling on a train and she meets a supporter who very much likes her, maybe even loves her, but she's loyal to a man that she's going to see, whether or not he'll be worth – Anything by the time she gets there is another story entirely. But she meets a number of people along the way, and many of them have songs that they're going to sing about her to her. And uh, as I say, the songs are always worth hearing. Ironically enough, her destination is the aforementioned New Mexico. What is it with New Mexico lately that we're hearing so much about it? So... um so that's uh something that uh is kind of surprising to hear New Mexico mentioned again. But I'm telling you, Ashley D. Kelly, um a a, a woman of a certain size uh will say dominates this show so wonderfully there is never a moment where she doesn't intrigue you, never a moment and never a moment where the music doesn't um, send, well at least me, I don't know about you, but sends me into raptures so um, I think this is something that really deserves a cast album and I do believe that somebody should come in and help Kirsten Childs edit it because this story um, shouldn't take as long as it takes because it's really more more than two and a half hours um it may have started late at eight o'clock but i noticed that i was getting out well after ten forty, and um so that's that's just too long for this story that shouldn't take nearly as long as i'm making in my review i'm going on too long myself but anyway it does close today i don't know if we'll see it again i hope we do in an edited form but i will say this if the cast album is made You're going to have a wonderful time with it, a wonderful time with it, and terrific lyrics as well. Um, Not only do they rhyme very well, but they illuminate the characters extraordinarily well. So uh, keep an eye out for the cast album of Bella if indeed uh, you missed it uh, at uh, Playwrights Horizons.
2: I think the cast album may be better at least for me than the show was. I th- I thought the show was kind of a shaggy dog show. I there was uh, there were so many questions that were unresolved for me. I mean uh, and maybe you can resolve them. Um I couldn't tell if she was fantasizing um these these people and experiences as she was having as she was traveling across the country and she's traveling across the country right after the civil war she's a she's a a a, a black woman her uh her fiance is a buffalo soldier one of the uh soldiers in a black unit that were sent out to uh fight the native americans um uh, I couldn't tell if the the fiance was for real. I couldn't tell there was an incident that happened to her uh, in her hometown with a, a, a white man who sort of ran the town, and I couldn't tell exactly what that interaction was. So I I sat there a lot of the time confused although I enjoyed the music. So I think the cast album would maybe be a better way for me to go. But did any, did, did, uh, were uh, any uh, of that clear to you?
1: I can't say that it occurred to me that it was going through her head. I took it at face value that this was really happening. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> now I'd like to see the show again with that in mind and see if I did miss that or if indeed it's there. So uh, I'm afraid I have no definitive answer uh, on that.
2: What about the interaction between her and the the man that she was running away from
1: oh yes uh, we didn't i'm sorry I didn't mention that whatsoever yes there is a situation where she had to get out of town because there was a white man uh who Uh, We get the impression raped her, at least. uh, We don't really quite see that in any flashback, but but we do uh, get the impression that's what was going on, and uh, she took some sort of revenge on him. That wasn't clear to me what the revenge was, but um, so she had to get out of town, take an assumed name. I didn't like the idea that she kept forgetting her assumed name uh, because I thought it made her seem a little on the stupid side, but uh, – and sh- it happens endlessly that uh, she just doesn't remember her name, that mm-hmm. she-, she gives her actual name. So, um, uh, yeah, I-, I will admit that that wasn't uh, – that seemed a little shopworn to me. But, um, you know, they're called musicals, and as a result, the music really <laughs> carried me through. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. So um... – Yeah, we'll have to look and see if we have uh, a cast recording coming from uh, this production. Although, uh, rumor has it that that they're going to try to restage this somewhere else. So we'll see... Yeah, uh, what happens there, and perhaps uh, some editing, as as Peter mentioned. Next up, uh, Jan, you got over to Manhattan Theatre Club's production of Cost of Living, which we've talked about before, but we'd like, want to hear your take on it. So why don't you give us uh, your thoughts?
2: This is a show that I I, I really liked, um, or at least I liked uh, all the way until the last scene. I had some problems with that, but uh, as People already know it's uh, two separate stories uh, that track that run parallel about um, caretakers, people who are taking care of physically disabled people. In one uh, instance, it's a woman who's been hired to help a man who lives on his own, but who has a cerebral palsy. He's a young graduate student at Princeton, and she's hired to come in and shave and and actually uh, help him shower uh, every day, to brush his teeth, things that he cannot physically do. The other uh, story that's running parallel is a woman who was in uh, an accident. We're not clear exactly what kind of accident. Um, Her uh, her crippled, her legs have been actually amputated, and her ex-husband steps in, or at least they're in the process of divorcing. And he is actually living with someone else, but... he's her emergency contact uh, remains her remained her emergency contact and so when she's in this accident he's called and he steps in and becomes her care uh, taker she she becomes actually not just crippled but actually it seems uh, quadriplegic and so she can't wash herself she can't do for herself um, the scenes I thought were 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 funny, unexpectedly funny. They were also very touching, and they were also, I think, dealing with the question of what is, how do we interact with one another, and I think the the playwright um, Martina Mayoc, I think, uh, is how you pronounce her name, is. Her answer seems to be that we we care for one another. We literally care for one another. We fulfill the needs, the literal needs of one another. And, um, uh, and she tracks that in this play. Um, I've always, not always, but I've long been... Um, a fan of the actor Victor Williams and I've seen him in other productions and he's always stood out um, just because of the sincerity of, of his performances. And he is marvelous here. He's just so compassionate, so sympathetic. Uh, And at the same time you see his own need, um, It's a wonderful performance. The thing that's particularly special about this production is that the two uh, actors who are portraying the people with disabilities actually have disabilities. Um, The man who uh, plays the graduate student is someone named Greg Mazgala, I think is how you say his name, and uh, he actually has cerebral palsy, not uh, as severe it seems as the character because the character is in a wheelchair and at the curtain call he walks out on stage um although um in a clear gait that suggests that uh he does uh, uh, have uh, a cerebral palsy. This condition. The woman um, it does; uh, her legs are amputated, and at the curtain call, she walks on with uh, prosthetic legs. They are both terrific actors. Just you know, not uh, I. I think someone on the show said before. And not just terrific for disabled actors. They're both terrific actors. Um, And I wanted to see them both in other uh, performances. At the performance that I attended, uh, the actress, Ali, um, uh, now I'm forgetting her name. She's a young actress who was in the Deaf West production of... um,
1: Spring Awakening. Um,
2: Spring Awakening. And uh, hmm. she was in the wheelchair. And she was at this performance. And I didn't know if, you know, if she just came as an audience member or she came because this is something that she herself would like to uh, 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 be a part of and uh, 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 perform. Um, but a very, very moving uh, uh, play. And um, A lot of simple but elegant dialogue because it's very simple, the way people speak, and yet there's so much meaning resting under uh, their words. I think this woman uh, uh, has the ability to be a really significant um, uh, playwright and is someone, again, Martina Mayock, someone to keep an eye on. It, it was um, my favorite thing that I've seen uh, over the past month. I thought it was really good. Interesting
0: that um, we have a couple of shows uh, playing right now about caregivers and the role yes. reversal. Um, have either one of you seen Marvin's Room yet? No.
2: No, I'm going this coming week, but I haven't seen it yet.
0: All right. So we'll have to talk about that uh, in in subsequent episodes, but I'm interested to hear the feedback on that as well. Peter, you got a chance to get down to uh, the Meatpacking District where you saw a production of Seeing You, which is an immersive theater um, uh, show. I think it's in the same space as uh, Sleep No More uh, was playing. So um, tell us about Seeing You.
1: No, it's not in that space. Um, No, um, it's uh, 450 West 14th Street, right uh, next to the stairs to take you up to the high lines, so uh, that should make it clear to a lot of people who have been uh, there. This is the damnest thing. Uh, it's more of a, <laughs> it's more of an art installation than uh, than a, a show. But you go in and uh, well, I was speaking immediately to uh, Lloyd Russell, as he calls himself, uh, who is a congressman from Hoboken. It takes place in Hoboken, by the way, the whole show, um, and. Um, I said, oh, were you born in Hoboken? And he said, yes, indeed. Did you go to high school in Hoboken? He said, yes, yes. I said, "Uh, where was the high school? silence. Uh, was it on Washington Street, I said? And he said, well, you know, uh, you know, when you get used to going somewhere, you forget where it is by name, but you know where you're going, which wasn't a bad excuse. Um, uh, so, uh, But then we were interrupted because I was just about to ask him, um, how big is Hoboken? And I wanted to see if he would say, well, it's a mile square. In fact, it's known as the Mile Square City. So, uh, But I didn't get a chance to do that because we were rushed over to see various scenes here and there. There are little vignettes going on here, there, and everywhere in this uh, empty room. One of them is uh, in a men's room where a soldier is um, coming on to another soldier, uh, not just coming on. I mean, he is really uh, backing him against the wall because he wants what he wants. There are other scenes where a family is having dinner and uh, I guess everybody gets poisoned because everybody seems to keel over. And Maybe the meal was just uh, terrible. <laughs> I have no idea. But um, little scenes like this going on before everything starts coming together and we as a group are led from one part of the room to another part of the room to another part of the room, where um, a lot of it is choreographed, in, uh, much of it, um, but the thing is, this show is supposed to take place in wartime, and one of the things we do during wartime is vote whether or not we feel that the Japanese should be bombed. Um, is, it a, a, is it fair? under the circumstances to, uh, send the atomic bomb over to Japan to wipe out, um, one city and then two cities worth of people. And, uh, a lot of people, uh, we're writing down what they felt. We don't find out what the majority feels, which I think we should. Uh, would people say, hey, they had it coming? After all, they're the ones who started this. Or no, it's too terrible a thing to do. So why ask the question if you're not going to have uh, it answered in any way, shape or form? I, I thought that was a, a big failure. But I um, When the choreography happens, it sometimes happens uh, between a man and a man in a romantic situation, a man and a woman in a romantic situation. But given that we're in the 40s, I don't understand why the music is so contemporary that they're dancing or better writhing to. It's the type of choreography that you really get the impression that whoever was in charge, and there are no playbills, at least I didn't get one either before, during, or after, that uh, the choreographer said, "Uh, just do anything, just move. You know, it, it comes across as that. So um, <laughs> uh, there are two period numbers. Uh, one is uh, Boogie Woogie, Woogie Bugle Boy, and the other is I'll Be Seeing You, which is where the show gets its title. And uh, those one, uh, both of them are done as performance numbers. Um, one is in a USO-type show that gets uh, pretty uh, much interrupted by a lot of chaos. Uh, I have a feeling that what's being said here has to do with the current situation with immigration, because what's going on is that there is one Asian woman in the cast and she is – berated much of the time and uh guilty till proved innocent much of the time and much of the the conflict seems to be that she is not being trusted by anyone and she is an outcast everywhere she goes so i have a feeling that has to do with today's uh situation with muslims i guess i guess i don't know but i will tell you this as i was walking to the subway Uh, Very slowly, because I went to the 11 o'clock show. It was 1230. It was a long day. I was very tired. Uh, One of the young actors uh, zipped by me just as I was going down the subway stairs and said, great show, huh? (laughs) And I said what I always say in these situations. I said, It reminded me a lot of, Man of La Mancha. Um, I know that makes no sense. I just like saying it, you know. Some. <laughs> I have to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and T and said, What? Uh, I said, Man of La Mancha? He had no idea what I was talking about. Uh, and simply repeated, Great show, huh? And I threw out my hands wide and said, But what does it mean? To which he, to which he shrugged his shoulders, put in his Metro card, went to the L train, and that was the end of that. So, um, so if he can't tell you, I certainly can't tell you either. So, uh,
2: was it a long show? Did you get to sit down? You- you're I did get here. to sit
1: down. I did get to sit down simply because when talking to Lloyd Russell, he uh, felt, OK, this guy wants to play ball with us. So let's see what we can do with him. So I was the first person to vote on whether or not to um, <laughs> uh, punish the Japanese severely. So um, uh, he, he uh, so I did get to sit. otherwise you are standing. During the entire show, unless you care to sit on the floor during one scene, where well, you're encouraged <laughs> to do that. So, uh, but yes, it is walking around a lot, and uh, there are times when you have to stick out your tongue because a nurse is going to examine you, that type of thing. Oh. And you know, th- this comes back to the thing that I always admired about Tony and Tina's wedding, and that is the fact that if you wanted to play ball with them, they would play with you all night long. But if you just want to sit and eat your ZD and don't bother me, they didn't bother you for two seconds. And here you are drawn into the action whether or not you want it. They pull you. They push you here. They push you there. Get over here. No, no, no. In this circle. No, no. Stand in this white line. All this kind of stuff. There's a lot of demands that are made on you in this show. And um, I think one of the reasons Tony and Tina ran now and forever was because of that latitude they gave each and every playgoer so um it's not here so be prepared to stick out your tongue and have your teeth examined at one point um to see whether or not you can give blood so uh
2: how long does uh, it, it run i mean how long yeah
1: it's uh, running through july 30th
2: no 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 i mean um i'm uh, running, the, the, time. The running time running time
1: yeah, ninety minutes they say, but it's shorter than that. And I'm telling you my my sense of gratitude when finally after <laughs> I'll be seeing you was sung and they said good night and it was only eighty minutes, you know, I I I sang like a bird, you know, that I was out of there. So uh again, you know, um I, I can't say that the group of people who were there who are about half my age, um seemed to be having that good a time. They were game, but there wasn't any big smiles of enthusiasms that I saw from anybody. So uh, I don't know if this will be success. I don't know how these people got there, why they went, uh, how they heard about it or anything like that. I don't know if it was all paper. I have no idea. But um, nobody seemed to really be in the spirit of it and have this, Terrific! Oh, boy, isn't this great? Oh, this is so different. Wow, this is weird. None of that stuff. It was just, okay, uh, if I have to stand here, I will stand here. And what's happening next? Okay, I'll go along with it. Why not? But no real enthusiasm.
0: So uh, a few things. So my my mistake at the beginning of this uh, section was because I made a terrible fatal flaw of – Uh, of trusting a real estate website to give me theater news Uh, Uh. (laughs) they had uh it said in this in this uh, real estate website that it was at the same spot of sleep no more but what they really meant to write there which they get into in a errata at the end of the column is that it uh this space 450 west 14th street was rented by uh uh, Randy Weiner um, who ah. is the same producer as Sleep No More and they said that Sleep No More was moving down there uh, into that space but then they had a correction that it's not moving down there to that space so and the interesting part about this is that Randy Weiner is the partner of Diane Paulus um, oh is that right ah. yeah. and Randy and Diane uh, were the forces behind you know uh, the donkey show many, many, many years ago that, that some may say started this kind of site specific craze type of thing. And Randy, as I mentioned, is involved in sleep no more. And Diane does a lot of, um, uh, a lot of, you know, immersive theater type of experience that you might see on a stage as well as, uh, seeing in, 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 unconventional spaces like this the last thing i want to mention is that um i got a chuckle out of the new york times review of seeing you which um was reviewed by brantley and jesse green in a joint column uh Mm -hmm. and the thing that says our chief theater critics went to see the interactive performance piece on the same night expecting to have vastly different experiences they didn't So I will link to that in the show notes if you'd like to read what Mr. Brantley and Mr. Green had to say about uh, their experience at uh, seeing you. Uh, And I guess that wraps it up for today. So before we get on to double trivia bonus round. Uh, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com There's a subscribe link, that way each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway it'll be automatically downloaded to iTunes for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in iTunes you can listen to us in many ways. One of the ways is iHeartRadio plays us Uh, Google Play, TuneIn Stitcher, all the wonderful places that you can listen to finer podcasts will carry us Uh, Broadway World Radio plays us Wednesdays at noon, Thursdays at 7pm at saturdays at 2 p.m. if you want to stream us and contact information for peter for jan for me for michael for everybody else here at broader radio can be found at broaderradio.com and uh, links to some of the things we've talked about today including jan's column on uh, tdf stages um, about uh, fulfillment center and the times review and some other little tidbits here and there so first of all We're going to have Ron Fassler from last week join us to give us the answer to last week's trivia. Ron, welcome back. So why don't you give us your answer to last week's trivia question?
3: Oh, it's my pleasure. The question was that with Jane Greenwood finally winning a Tony Award after 21 nominations, someone has now taken on the mantle of being the oldest living person nominated for the most Tonys without a single win. So my question was, who is that and how many Tonys were they nominated for? And doing the math, I came up with the choreographer, director, even book writer, Graziella Danielle. Ah. She's been nominated eight times for choreography, once for her direction, which was in 1991 for Once on this Island, and once for The Book of a Musical. 1996's Chronicle of a Death Foretold. So with 10 nominations, the 77-year-old Graziella Danielle, I believe, is the oldest living Tony nominee to not have a win. Let's keep wishing her luck.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ron. My pleasure. And now, Peter, why don't you give us the answer to trivia from two weeks ago?
1: Okay, the question was, A movie was once made of a Broadway musical. It starred three performers. The first build would later do the lead in a film version of a play written by a man who had a theater named after him. The second would later direct a film version of a smash Broadway musical. And the third would much later become the subject of a musical. What's the film and who are the three people who started it? uh jack leshner said peter i have a feeling this isn't what you had in mind but it works and he said on the town was based on a broadway musical and it starred frank sinatra gene kelly and betty garrett now frank sinatra starred in the movie of come blow your horn which was written by neil simon who has a theater named after him gene kelly directed the movie of hello dolly Betty Garrett was the subject of her own one-woman show, Betty Garrett and Other Songs. Well, yeah, sure, Jack. Um, I I agree. But, you know, Betty Garrett, um, you know, being the subject of her own one-woman show, um, I would say that's a good answer. But I don't think it's the best answer. And I think Sam Gonzalez had the best answer, which was paint your wagon, because Lee Marvin later appeared in the film The Iceman Cometh, written by Eugene O'Neill, whose name is on a 49th Street theater. Clint Eastwood directed Jersey Boys, a smash Broadway musical, uh, on film. And Gene Seberg was the subject of Gene, a musical Marvin Hamlish did with Christopher Adler, that's Richard's son, that to this point is only played in England. So that's what I had in mind. Okay, new one. What do these characters in musicals have in common? Lily Garland, Joe Hardy, Eve Harrington, Harold Hill, Paul San Marco, Signor Pirelli, Sweeney Todd, and Dolores Zeppel. What do they all have in common? (laughs) All right, you're back in force here.
0: That's a brutal question. It is. All right. So if you have an answer to that, email us at TriviaBroadwayRadio.com, and we'll let you know if you are on the right track. So on behalf of Jan Simpson and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye.
2: And I swear it's 110%.
1: Absolutely. True.
2: She was a Wild West figure With a Wild West figure I me a book That could take me
0: away
3: What
2: was the subject?
0: All about traveling it's a that girl is the reason for the invention of the bustle.
2: my imagination gets me in trouble sometimes
0: <laughs> señorita I I could be the sunshine i give you all the warmth you seek señorita no, the only one a strong black woman can depend on is herself
2: there is one thing
0: A man in New
1: Mexico